Our passage today requires just a little bit of background for it to make sense. We're reading out of 2 Samuel 9 today, and this is a passage about King David. And at this point in the story of David's life, well, he's been established as the king, and it's a time of relative peace and security. David has uh, defeated most of his enemies, his borders are secure, but that hasn't been long the case. David had struggled mightily just a short time ago with the former king of Israel named Saul. And uh, David was loyal to Saul, as you remember, but Saul was jealous of David and tried to have him killed multiple times. And so thankfully, during that difficult period, David had some wonderful friends, and there was no greater friend, there was no friend more loyal to him than a man named Jonathan. Jonathan and David were like brothers. In fact, in 1 Samuel 20, it says, Jonathan made David vow again because of his love for him, because he loved him as he loved his own life. That's how close Jonathan and David were. And that's an especially powerful vow because Jonathan was the son of Saul, you may remember, and should have expected, could have expected to be the next king of Israel. But his friendship, his love, his loyalty for David, he was willing to set that aside. And so we fast forward to our passage today. King Saul is dead. Most of David's enemies are gone. And sadly, Jonathan has been killed as well. Which brings us to our passage, 2 Samuel 9, verse 1. Then David said, Is there yet anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. The king said, Is there not yet anyone in the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is a son of Jonathan who is crippled in both feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel in Lodibar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodibar. Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to, to David and fell on his face and prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he said, here is your servant. David said to him, do not fear, for I will surely show kindness to you for the sake of your father Jonathan, and will restore to you all the land of your grandfather Saul, and you shall eat at my table regularly. Again, he prostrated himself and said, what is your servant that you should regard a dead dog like me? Then the king called Saul's servant, Ziba, and said to him, All that belong to Saul and all to his house I have given to your master's grandson. You and your sons and your servants shall cultivate the land for him, and you shall bring in the produce so that your master's grandson may have food. Nevertheless, Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall eat at my table regularly. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants, Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands, his servant, your servant will do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table as one of the king's sons. 
Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who lived in the house of Ziba were servants to Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate at the king's table regularly. Now he was lame in both feet. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit of God, we thank you for the wonderful opportunity, the gift that you have given us to come into the Lord's house. We thank you, Father, that we're able to join our hearts together and offer you our praise and our worship. We pray that you would forgive us of our sins and cleanse us so that we might hear your voice, so that our worship might be pleasing to you. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Breathe new life into us. Deepen our love and our obedience to you. We are made for you. We are created for you. And our desire is to have a single-minded devotion in this time that we share. Accept our praises. Help us even to honor you as we should. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Over the last few weeks, we've been taking a fresh look at biblical grace. and In Greek, the word is charis, grace, and it's defined as the, the state of kindness and favor towards someone, a gift, a benefit, a credit, words of kindness and benefit, thanks and blessing. And there are few passages in all of the scripture that are more filled with charis, grace, than this one. I want to highlight five things about grace that we see in this passage. Five elements of grace that David showed young Mephibosheth. And may I just say that from this point forward, I'm not going to call him Mephibosheth. We're just going to call him Bo. And because he was from southern Israel, and that was his nickname, and you can't prove me wrong. And so we're just going to stick with Bo from this point. The first thing that I want to show you about how David just poured grace out on, uh, on young Bo is that David went out of his way to find someone who needed kindness and grace. Verse 1, then King David said, is there yet anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? He went out of his way to offer grace. And this is especially shocking if you know anything about ancient history. You see, the way that a king became king, a way that the king stayed king was that he would kill the former king, and if that wasn't enough, the, the custom of the time was that he would kill everyone, every heir, every member of that family to ensure that family would not come back against him. That was the standard of the day. And so this was completely gracious. David went out of his way to pour grace on someone. The second thing I want you to see is this. David gave grace to someone who did nothing to deserve it. Bo hadn't made a vow to him. We're not even sure if Bo had ever met the king before. Even so, David showed incredible grace. 
And as I was writing this week, I thought to myself, you know, what a different standard that was from that day. You know, it's kind of a Um, I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. That's what you would have expected in that day. That's what you would have expected even today. You know, it's it's what I can get out of it. I'll be nice to you if you're nice to me. But that's not what David did. Bo had nothing to offer. And yet David showed incredible kindness and grace to him. The third element of grace is this. David offered this kindness of grace based on the merits of someone else. David was the king. He didn't need to be gracious to Bo, but he wanted to be gracious because of Jonathan. And again, Bo had nothing to offer. He wasn't going to strengthen David's position. He wasn't a great warrior. In fact, in verse 5 it says, Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who is crippled in both feet. He didn't bring anything to the table for David. Bo considered himself no more than a slave. In verse 6 it says, here is your servant. He had no power, no strength, no position. All he had was a very unhealthy self-image. In verse 8 he says again he prostrated himself and he said, what is your servant that you should record a dead dog like me? That's how Bo saw himself. Why should David have regard for him? Not because of Bo, but because of another, because of Jonathan. And that's the very definition of unmerited grace. The fourth element I'd like to draw attention to, David helped a man who could not help himself. Verse 4 said, So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Behold, he is in the house of Macher, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. You see, Bo was in hiding. And Bo was in hiding. He'd run as far away from Jerusalem as he could. He didn't have his own home. He was in a place called Lodabar. And that literally in Hebrew means no pasture. A place of desolation. A place of barrenness. That describes not only where he was, but really the situation where Bo found himself. He had no allies, no resources, and not even a good hiding place. He wasn't going to fix this. He wasn't going to pull himself up by his own bootstraps. But David, but David showed unmerited grace. The last element of grace we see in this passage is this. David covered him and provided and protected him. In verse 11 it says, So Mephibosheth ate at David's table as one of the king's sons. How rich. Verse 13, so Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate at the king's table regularly. Now he was lame in both feet, and that's kind of a a poetic way of drawing attention. He had nothing to gain. He had nothing that David had nothing to gain from him. Who am I that the king should consider me? I'm no more than a dog, a crippled dog, a dead dog. But David said, come eat at my table. Put yourself in Bo's position just for a moment. Can you imagine what it felt like to sit at the king's table after going through everything that he'd gone through? His crippled legs underneath the table, they were covered, you know, at least covered by the table. I don't know if they had a, a, a fancy cover across the table, but there was Bo. He wasn't a dog anymore. He wasn't less than. He sat at the king's table, equal to all of the others that were there. He had been living in a place of 
called desolation. But now by the king's grace, he lived in Jerusalem. And he was covered. He was blessed. He was protected. Abundance had been poured into his life. And I just thought to myself, you know, if we really put ourselves into Bo's position, what gratitude we must have felt. How he must have just felt so joyful to be there after feeling so broken. And don't you think that Bo would have done just about anything for the king at that point? Anything that the king would have asked, of course he would have done it. That's the only possible response to such grace. I love this story. I love reading it, love studying it. But some might ask, you know, that's a great, that's a wonderful story, but what does it have to do with us today? Well, some of you have probably already figured it out. Some of you have probably already seen, because as we read this, these phrases, these words, they should sound familiar to us. I hope they did. Because David, the great king of Israel, was really a foreshadowing of a king, another king, that would come a thousand years later. And this king would be no earthly king, but he would be the capital K king of all. And far more than David could ever pour out grace, this king would also pour out grace over the whole world, over us today. So listen again to those five elements of grace and see how they apply to you. Number one, King Jesus went out of his way to find someone. He went out of his way to find someone that needed kindness and grace. How far did he go out of his way? Philippians 2.6 says this, Although Jesus existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or to, to be held on to, but he emptied himself. He took on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. How far out of his way did he go? From the heights of heaven, he gave up everything. All of the glory that he deserved, all of the praise, the worship for simply who he was, from the heights of heaven, he came. I remember a friend, when I was still in the army, I was in seminary and still in the army, and, and uh, we were talking, he was an office mate of mine, and we were talking about evangelism and, you know, and going and sharing the gospel. And, and uh, my friend, he, he said, you know, I don't know what all this emphasis, you're always talking about going, you're always talking about sharing the gospel. He said, you're not from around here, but this is the South. And we have a church on every corner, and we have a steeple on every church, and if anybody ever wants to hear about Jesus, they know where to go and find you. But you see, that wasn't the attitude of Christ, who came from the heights of heaven, who went out of his way, my soul, to speak to my heart, to yours. King Jesus gave grace to someone who did nothing to deserve it. That's me. That is me all over. To my shame, I remember back when I was in high school and college, I remember making fun of Christians, to my shame. And I used to talk, I had some good friends that were Christians. We're going out next week to meet some of them. And when they told me about Jesus, I'd say stuff like, Christianity is just for weaklings 
for people that can't stand on their own feet. And I can tell you to my shame that I was also an incredible hypocrite because inside I absolutely knew that I was broken. And I absolutely knew that I needed something. And I absolutely knew if I didn't exactly know the words, I had that sense that I had a sin debt that was a a mile high and a mile wide and there was nothing that I could do to fix it. But Romans 5, 8 said, God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. That's me. That's you. Christ died for us. Jesus gave grace to someone who did nothing to deserve it. And Father God offered the kindness of grace on the basis of the merits of King Jesus. You see, David gave Mephibosheth grace based upon his relationship with Jonathan. Father God gives us grace based upon the gift of Jesus Christ. We couldn't work for it. There was nothing that any one of us could do to earn it. You see, I've heard this. I know this. You know what? We need to hear it again. Because over a lifetime of being servants, we can slip into, boy, I've really worked hard for Jesus. I've really earned it. I've really got my place. Oh, we just need to Take a pin, pierce that, let that that go. Because there's nothing that I could do to earn it. And I know what I deserve. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is, you know, the wage of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Grace. Can you just say that word with me? Grace. Grace, unmerited, freely given to all who call Jesus Lord. King Jesus helped a man that could not help himself. You you know my story. I've said it many times. There was a lowest point of my life when there were five Christians, five Christians in the same week that all came to tell me about Jesus. Didn't know each other. Five And I'll tell you what, that'll get your attention. It became very clear to me that there was an orchestrator. There was something going on beyond what I could see. But what you don't know is how I reacted to that immediately. Because my first response was, yes, I realize that I need a Savior. And my first thought, you're going to think it's crazy, but here's how I responded. I began to see how great Jesus was how wondrous, how incredible he was. And my thought process, as twisted as it was at that moment, was that, you know what? I need to clean myself up. To make myself worthy to accept Christ, I need to clean myself up. So here is my plan. I swear this is the truth. One week, if I can just clean myself up for one week, then I'll be worthy. And then I'll accept Jesus as Christ. And so there was my plan come that Monday morning because everything starts on Monday, right? So here I was, no cussing, no swearing, no impure thoughts, no lying, no outburst of anger. And ooh, I had an anger issue. Can you kind of figure out how that plan went? Day one, failure. Okay, we'll start again tomorrow. Day two, failure. Day three, failure. So finally I just said, I'm going to lower the standard. If I can just get through one day, one day, 
No impure thoughts, no lying, no anger, no actions contrary to the scriptures. Couldn't do it. And finally I got it. Slowly it began to make sense. If I was able to clean myself up, I wouldn't need a savior. But I needed one. I still need one. Ephesians 2.5 says this, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ by grace. What a precious word. By grace you have been saved. King Jesus covered us. He provides for us. He protects us. Romans 4, 7, blessed are those who lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. It's not that we haven't sinned, but that our sins are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's not that we have any right to approach the throne of God even to this day. It's not that we have earned our prayers to be lifted to heaven so that a holy God might intercede for us, act on our behalf. There's never been a day in the last 36 years when I bowed my head and said, Lord, search my heart, and if there's any unclean ways, show it to me so I might ask for your forgiveness. In the last 36 years when I prayed that prayer, there's never been one time when the Holy Spirit said, no, you're good today. Go on your way. It is by grace. Oh, can't we just say it again? Grace. Just, just fill the sanctuary. Grace. You have been covered. 1 John 2.2 says, And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Propitiation. It's a mouthful. It means atoning sacrifice. It means the forgiveness of sins, the covering of our sins by his grace. Grace flowing down. Do you feel it? Do you recognize it today? And how do you, sitting here today, how do you respond to such grace? How do you see old Mephibosheth Bo? in your mind. Can't you just see him sitting at that table from a land of desolation and now sitting there with a great smile? He'd gone from being afraid to abundance of life. He had gone from being a, a terrified of the king to being welcomed into his presence. Oh, does this sound familiar? Can't you just see that smile as he looked around the great court and if the king ever asked Bo to do anything, don't you know that Bo would have just done anything out of appreciation, out of gratefulness, out of gratitude? Of course he would have. So how do you respond to such grace? With awe and worship and love? With a very real remembrance of what was and what now is to come, we have been invited to the king's table. 
And what does the king ask of us? He says, go. He asks us to go out of your way to find someone to pour grace and kindness on. He asks us to offer grace to someone who did nothing to deserve it. Offer kindness and grace on the basis of what Christ has done for you. Help a person that cannot help themselves. Share the good news of Jesus Christ so they too might be covered, provided for, and protected. And do it all out of a great sense of appreciation, thankfulness, and love. Be obedient to the source of all grace, overflowing grace from Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? May your spirit, Holy Father, breathe through us. May we remember fully down to our bones what was, what our eternal destination was without you, what our life before Christ was before you. Help us to remember with everything we are, with our hearts, with our minds, with our hands, Help us to remember how you've changed everything, everything. And may that remembrance overflow in our love for you. This moment, help us, Holy Spirit, to give our Lord everything. And help us to pass on that grace to others. In your name, in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.